Hello, hello, and welcome to my tennis journey. As you're listening today, it would be amazing if you could hit subscribe or follow if you haven't already had a chance. Now, I'm such a big believer that tennis can help you in your life, regardless of whether you end up working in tennis, finance, marketing, or even the world of football. And the world of football is particularly relevant to today's guest, as whilst he's a level two tennis coach and has been had a long-term association with Church Broughton Tennis Club in Derbyshire. He's also a football commentator and a sports reporter for the BBC. Welcome to the show, Dom Dietrich. Thank you very much for having me, Rob. I've been there. I've been listening. Very excited to get stuck into it. It'll be fun. We're going to come on to tennis and to football, but but to start with, I'd love to ask you about something, a piece of activity you did um, around homelessness and, and feeding the homeless in Manchester last year, which ended up with you appearing on Good Morning Britain, virtually every national newspaper. Um, it was a genius idea, I think, inspired by Eat Out to help out. Can you tell us what the idea was, Dom, and how you ended up being watched or read about by millions? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was a very strange time. Um, went Basically, you know, when Rishi Sunak announced the Eat Out to Help Out scheme, wanted to, uh, you know, get people into restaurants and using hospitality and things like that. So, you know, I was enjoying the, the luxury that half-price food brings, maybe a little too much, um, and ended up, you know, going to a couple of restaurants and, you know, having some ridiculous meals for like five, four pound and things like that. And I remember being sat in a very classy restaurant, Harvester, um, with a big plate of food, and like three course meal and you're just thinking like I've paid four pound for this and like I don't need it I, I definitely didn't need it at the time um and I'm just thinking you know what am I what am I doing uh there's people that probably need it a lot a lot more than me um there's people on the streets especially at a time like it was in the first lockdown you know no one was carrying change I think even to this point no one's carrying change so yeah. people on the streets were really gone out and they were stretched um so wanted to come up with a way with my, my friend Rob that we could come up with a video that would maybe offer people something they can do to try and help. So when Rishi Sunak obviously had the Out to Help Out scheme, there's a little app on Weatherspoons where you can order food to a table. So the idea was I'd go on my Instagram, I'd get them to order food, get you know anyone on my Instagram to order food to this restaurant at this time, to this table. Um, and we'd go and hand it out to the homeless. So what happened? We, me and Rob got into this, um, into this Weatherspoons in Manchester, middle of Manchester, next to St. Peter's Square, and sat there, went on the Instagram, did the post. A couple of people started sending things. A lot of people were like, what on earth are you doing? Why are you asking us for food? Um, and uh, basically took a load of Tupperware, showed no shame uh, as the waiters came back and forth, um, just putting it all into Tupperware boxes. And it was, you know, it was bizarre. And we basically had to sneak it out of this Weatherspoons and go take it out to, to the streets of Manchester and, you know, try and help some people. Uh, I think we ended up feeding, what, you know, seven people on that night, which is nowhere near, you know, a solution or anything like that. And we're fully aware of that. But we wanted to film it to hopefully make a little ripple effect in Manchester happen in Norwich, happen in Liverpool, happen in Derby, happen all over the place. Yeah. Um, and, and luckily it picked up a lot of traction. The thing with it is, Dom, though, is like, you know, the awareness that it drove of mm. 
the plight of the homeless during lockdown was as important as the meals. But you could only do that with the genius idea of we can use this weather Weatherspoon's functionality to make a little difference. But the awareness that came, I mean, before you know it, you're on the Good Morning Britain. I know. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Um, and it was a much happier place to be on Good Morning Britain at that point as well. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it was it was bizarre. I, I can remember when it all kind of blew up. I was, I was meant to be at work, obviously doing the job I do um, working sort of in the media industry. Um, it was a bit surreal. So, I, you know, I took the day off um and people were just following and tweeting and like messaging me all day had some really nice comments from some people but you know as you do in these situations you get some negative ones as well and I appreciate the fact that you know you, know, you were kind enough to say it was good marketing and things like that but it you know I appreciate when I see something like this I sometimes do have the the cynical thought of oh why why do you have to film it um but, but there was nothing there was nothing that you were doing like to self-promote in that mm. way you know it was about the cause and i do a session every year don where i i because uh, i used to work in the charity world and i do a session where i speak to ceos of small charities it's one of my favorite things in the year and i used your your piece as an example to them to say look what an idea can bring and you know if you're just sending out the same old emails or whatever there's no spark there's no interest but what you did was produce a piece of content that led to message that could lead to actions and that's what the small charities mm. need to do so mate i know we're gonna have to come back to tennis and to football and <laughs> like, but what a great great piece of work i i appreciate it rob i, I really do uh and i know you reached out to me at the time to to say so and, you know just little things like that help and uh uh, yeah it was uh, i'm happy we were able to help would have liked to have used the momentum a bit better but you know obviously with hospitality in the way it is you know certain ideas we had just weren't weren't possible but um yeah, somewhere down the line some... Tom. somewhere down exactly the line. exactly tennis my friend tennis <laughs> how did it. your tennis journey start my tennis journey started um uh, actually because of one of your guests on the podcast so far uh tom rushby so uh, my mum used to help out with sort of young tennis players um, and help out Tom in particular and sort of manage him and, and try and, you know, help build his profile and things like that when he was coming through the uh, challenger circuits and all that sort of stuff uh, and making his name in, in British tennis. Um, and basically I used to go around to all these tournaments with, with mum and, and him. I remember one in Wrexham. Um, I think Alex Bogdanovich was playing. You got, not Andy Murray, but Andrew Murray was playing, uh, Jamie Baker, all these players. I can remember just being like, oh, you know, I'm, I fancy this. This would be great. Um, and, you know, Tom was nice enough to help me get into Church Broughton Tennis Club because uh, a few of my mates at school did it. So it was nice to get involved in that. And I just from there just got really stuck in, absolutely loved it. Um, used to get free stuff off Tom all the time. I found <laughs> so, a picture, didn't I, Tom? Of you? Yeah. In a, in a sort of a presentation pose and you're like oh that's one of the shirts Tom gave me I have to say that was a loser's picture though Rob so I wasn't very happy with that but I've got too many of them I, I think you've struggled to find a winner's one um but, made the but, final man <laughs> I'll take it I'll take it um but yeah no it was it was class I absolutely loved it and you know I think being around that situation when I was younger and then you know coming to church brought and church brought such an amazing club 
absolutely love it to bits and you know it's a big part of my childhood and i'm sure we'll get onto it a little bit later but yeah uh one of the best things i ever did uh playing tennis brilliant were there any any highlights of your junior career that you can remember <laughs> ones which was the the winner's photo as well dom i you know what i think i got it's always looked down on and i can remember when i got it i got i got most improved player at under 16 so i kind of thought to myself like, most improved like was it was that <laughs> Was that was that bad or like was that like was that trying to figure it out? Um, and yeah, that was nice. Uh, played for the club, obviously, uh, lots of times during the during their sort of mini green tournaments and things like that. Um, I used to be a right little little uh, Mardi lad, so like if I lost, I'd hate it. And you know the rivalries between me and my mates. Yeah, you know, I used to play with Josh, who's gone on to play professional football you play with a guy called Al Fowler as well and you know, the rivalry was was there every time I chat to someone the importance of friends Dom the importance mm. of friends of making the sport of course the sport's brilliant but socializing having mates having rivals in that way to <laughs> play against it's a massive part of it isn't it it is yeah and I I mean we used to have all of us meet on the park and you know the little village parking church brought and, and and play and it would get competitive and we'd all someone would leave crying um but it, it's all part of it and I think you know that's what you got to love about you know sport when you're young is is just that desire to want to beat your mates and that's the funny thing about tennis I think as well because it is a solo sport obviously with football you'll play with your mates but you'll be together I think it it kind of teaches you good mentality when you're young because you know, you have to go out and, and play on your own. I don't want to look at it too seriously because you are just a kid at the end of the day, but it does teach you good lessons in terms yeah. of... Are you are you better? So you, it's really interesting. A child went off crying at the end of the session. <laughs> are you better to learn resilience as a result of that? Or are you better off learning resilience in the office when you perhaps get yeah. emotional and go off? And I think a massive benefit of our sport is that you're learning the life lessons at that early age. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think the way in which I've just chilled out now when I play tennis and things like that and at work, I'm fairly relaxed. If something goes wrong, I'll beat myself up a bit. But I have learned to not like react like I did. You know, my mum would be embarrassed to watch me sometimes. Like I think there was a tournament I played at Rolls-Royce in the road to Wimbledon. Uh, and I still to this day, the ball went in, <laughs> in my opinion. I was playing this lad. I can't remember who it was. And I was, I think I, I, think I was five, four up and I'd broke his serve just before, something like that. And I, I was serving it out and I'm convinced I, I hit like a, I can't remember what it was, but <laughs> I'm going to sound well petty here, but I hit a forehand down the line, I think. And I was convinced it went in. I was convinced. And it was at that age where you have to um, umpire yourselves and things like that. And mum was on the side and, the, the lad's dad was on the side and it, I was convinced and he called it out. And I was just so like bereft at that. Like, how can you call that out? Like I'm on the verge of like, like playing another match on another day here at Rolls Royce on the grass. Like, don't do, don't, don't ruin it for me. And uh, I just lost my head. I think I just, I just hit my racket, got really upset in myself. And mum was just like, like what are you do like what are yeah. you doing like yeah and uh, yeah it was it was really cool I think so Thomas many tennis players Dom have 
had that though. I, you know, I've got more than one, more yeah. than one occasion. I know my mum is going to listen to this, and I know <laughs> she's thinking, "Oh, there's plenty, there's plenty <laughs> of them with that." Like we've all, you know, and yet I hope that, like you said, at work now you're pretty chilled out when things don't go your way. Mm. You learn the lessons through it, and and you know, at times it can be painful. Like, the fact that you remember that it was painful. Yeah. Huh? I'll never forget that. I don't know why it's one thing that's always stuck with me. What's going to happen with smart tennis courts? It's going to eliminate all this. Oh, it'll my just, God. It'll just tell you. It'll just tell you. That ball was in, that ball was out. I would... Oh, the day that happens. Like, I, the, the thing that used to annoy me most about playing was when you had a parent that got too involved. I always thought that really frustrated me because my mum would always stand and watch, but she wouldn't like say, oh, that was in or oh, that was, I, I really didn't like that. That was like, that made you feel uncomfortable when you were a kid. Uh, really but sauce. Awesome Not yeah. to Really important. Yeah. Hey, but, to, yeah. You know, like talking about that though, do, how often do you, so Kevin Davis, Kevin Davis, Chesterfield Football Club, FA Cup semi-final, a shot goes over the line. John Duncan, the manager of that football club. Now, if they'd have had technology, they would have made the FA Cup final. Honestly, I, it's it's ridiculous. Like the fine margins. Like I mean, we've seen it at the moment with Premier League. I'm, I'm I want to abolish VAR. As I would do, do it tomorrow. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. I you just you just can't. You can't get into it. You can't get excited. But I think with tennis, we're quite lucky because it would be so factually correct. That ball has either got... It's like goal line technology. Yes. Incredible for football. And it helps so much. Yes. And it's such a positive. That would be the similar outcome in tennis because it'd either be, right, that's touched the line. And we've seen it with Hawkeye, um, you know, in, in, the, in the major tournaments and things like that at the top level. It's factual. It's either in or out. The thing I hate about VAR is the fact that it's so blurred in terms of the rules and, you know, different interpretations on a different day could influence how a match goes. It's just bizarre. It's you know, when, um, when I did like, uh, uh, when I worked in football, um, we did a survey. This was in 1998. And we did a survey of 10,000 people. It was a very early internet survey. And I can't remember the exact results, but we talked about VAR or, you know, some sort of system like that. And a large percentage of people wanted it. A large percentage in favour. You wonder now, you think it's gone the other way, huh? I think if you asked, I think if you asked 100 football fans, I'd be surprised if more than 10 said they wanted it. Come on, mate. Well, we've come from tennis to football. You did you always have this dream of of becoming a football commentator, a, a, a reporter? Um, yeah, I, I absolutely love commentating. And my mate, my mates will tell you, my mum, my brother will always tell you on FIFA it was non-stop. I'd be commentating over my games. I'd be screaming the house down and things like that. And it has always been something I absolutely love, and I love like taking it in and just listening to famous commentaries in the past, you know, just even like they think it's all over or like just moments like that, where you can put words and say the exact right things at the exact right times to really hone in on a certain situation. I remember sort of Derby County moments where I've just, I, yeah, I've, I've always wanted to do it, but I don't think it actually became like a goal until I actually, when I was 16, I wanted, no, 14, 15, I wanted to be a chef. Don't know why. Um, I was I was a big lad, like food, so probably made sense. <laughs> um, I I went on work experience at the local pub because I used to work at the Hollybush uh, in Church yeah. Broughton. Great pub if you're ever in Derbyshire and fancy it, get down there. 
Um, so I used to work with them. Uh, so I went on work experience, obviously living in the village, I could wander around the corner and take 30 seconds. So I wouldn't really have to do it <laughs> too, too much. Uh, but then I realized that wasn't for me. My mum was into journalism and, and did stuff in, in Derbyshire, ran her own paper back in the day. Um, and it just felt like I, I just started looking at pathways to possibly get me there. And every school report would always come back saying, talks too much, talks too much, talks too much. And so I just thought I may, I may as well talk for a living and try and figure that. out a way. Oh, I got yeah. up, mate. I love that so much. <laughs> it's basically, so if one of ours, you know, and I can imagine one of ours gets a, a school report saying talks too much. Yes. I'm not going to look at that as a negative. I'm going to say, right, lads, ever thought about commentating? Honestly, do it. Because I, I think that's the sad thing at the moment. When I was at school, it was never like, I, I never thought of doing something outside science, English or maths. You know what I mean? Like that was what's drilled into it. And I think for me, I found out what I was passionate enough early about and I, and I went for it. And I think that's important. I know people aren't as lucky to find that out so young and it can be quite a late process what, to find out what you love. Um, but any, like if, you know, people will have a go at, kids for playing video games too much or you know staring at twitter or instagram too much but at the moment if you play video games too much why don't you create a twitch and start live streaming you know and try and make what you love doing your 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 reality and your your career and you know if you're on instagram why don't you start become like an instagram page and like get yourself productive on what you're passionate about and you'll never work a day in your life yes come on it's it's that is such a great quote um and and i see that you know like our daughter who's 14 but she's had lots of little businesses off the back of instagram you can things you can make things happen and um, but Dom, how how did you make it happen what was your journey from you know thinking ah maybe sh- i'm not going to be a chef i want to be a football commentator how did you make it happen uh, so my first steps were um i went on a media course at um Derby, Derby College at Joseph Wright Centre, did like a BTEC media, and I know BTEC's a frowned upon, but got me to where I wanted to be as easy as possible, so I thought, why not? Um, so I did the BTEC course. During that, I started dropping in, like we'd have to create videos and stuff of, uh, you know, projects and things like that, and I would do like Derby County reports. I'd get like the footage and talk over it and things like that. Um, then I bought my own mic and stuff like that, uh, took it home and just started rambling over FIFA. I've genuinely still got the commentaries on my laptop. Uh, and this, they're so bad. It's so funny. And I've put on this really weird voice, like Derby County going down the wing. And it's like, <laughs> like, I don't like, just, no one talks like that. Um, and then through college, got a place at uni to do sports journalism. And that's where I started really kicking on with it. In first year, I was, emailing people non-stop trying to get advice uh you know we'd have guest speakers come in and then i'd ask for their number after and just hound them uh and try and get experience that way um at uni i would cover some of the local sports teams and, and just go down and, and just ramble on about it create packages and stuff like that for radio and then i actually got my first break i'd say um at a portsmouth radio station so i went to uni in southampton and then I basically found this community radio station in Portsmouth that I could go and maybe get some experience in radio in. Uh, so I used to get the train from Southampton to Portsmouth on a Wednesday night and I'd contribute to the non-league show that they had at the time. 
and it just so happened that about a month or two after I went there, they they the presenters couldn't do it anymore. Uh, so I took it on and I was able to take it on and have my own one hour radio show, not really knowing what the hell I'm doing. Um, and I would basically cover all the non-league football scene in Portsmouth, which is really, it's got quite a rich history. You know, having at Waterlooville were in there. Um, they were managed by Lee Bradbury at the time. Obviously, I think he had a loan spell at Derby back in the day. Uh, he was actually doing Man City's worst ever signing, which is, you know, <laughs> by the by, he's a lovely guy. Um, and all these sorts of people. I proper just threw myself into it. Um, and yeah, that was, that was it really. That's you it made this happen. This is, I think, you know, if there's, if there's a lesson for for our uh, our tennis players, our listeners are who are looking at careers, these these things that happened, you made happen by go going after them. The guys might not have left, but the fact that you'd put yourself in that position, you could mm. then you know get that that presenting job. You mm. went after it, and that's the key here, isn't it? Is yeah, and that's what I found when I in my working career, go after things, bang bang bang, don't be afraid. I think you actually taught me that, I think, Rob, when I was sort of around 15, 16, we'd have chats at, at Church Brought and Tennis when I first met you and you were always so supportive and sort of encouraging things like that. And I think that I really appreciated that at the time. And I know you tried to help me and sort of point me in directions and things like that. So that was really good. Um, and, you know, just like you say, you've got to throw yourself at situations. Um no one's got anywhere just by sitting by and saying, oh, I like that. You've got to, you know, get stuck into it and, you know, listen to people you, you like listening to, you know, learn what output sounds like, what commentary sounds like, uh, the people you like. So I emailed Dan Walker, presents Breakfast Now, but he was at the moment, he was on Football Focus. Uh, I'd heard about his journey and how he came through a similar sort of thing to me. Um and emailed him and he was the first person to ever reply to me and he gave me full email of all this advice all this feedback and you know was really good about it and we exchanged a couple back and forth and there were loads of people that were like that and that are willing to take the time out I should say as well I got an opportunity um, at the end of first year I applied for the BBC kickoff reporter scheme um, where basically you'd get a summer uh, and you'd get yeah, a whole summer to work in a BBC newsroom on the sports desk at your local radio. So I applied for that. Um, was fortunate enough to get that. Um, I was interviewed at the time by Owen Bradley, who works for Rams TV. Uh, yes. And he, he took me under his wing for that summer. And he was really good and really helpful. And obviously had doors that's there as, as well. Uh, and a few others, Jono, that, that's at Radio Derby. And I got the chance to work in that environment for know three or four months and really get to know what it's like to work in a station and my advice to anyone would be whilst uni's great education's brilliant you won't ever benefit more than actually getting into a a station and seeing it happen in front of you because you know I, I I was so bemused at like some of the things you'd have to do and like the time in which you'd have to do it really just gave you a wake-up call um but yeah that was an incredible summer and, and you're 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 you know you you now have your own your own podcast on called the next best thing where where you're interviewing high profile commentators you know Ian Dennis Clive Tilsley John Murray um have you found they've got similar stories because of just going after it and going after it absolutely um yeah it was weird doing it because obviously I, I created the podcast I wanted to in a sense meet and chat to these people and, and get some advice and hopefully offer some people some sort of you know, help 
in the industry if they were thinking of what to do and you know who better to hear from than the likes of the ones you just mentioned um but yeah they had similar starts as well um, they would like a commentator they would get in touch with the commentator they'd record themselves on their phone um there was a, a story with a couple of guys where they had like a, a dictaphone and they would just play cricket in their back garden, hold the dictaphone in one hand and then hold the bat in the other and just try and knock it about while I was talking <laughs> about it. And it's just bizarre. That, but then you, you can send that because then you think how easy it is now to record stuff on your phone, create your own stuff. You can send anything you record to a local radio station or to a TV person or to someone you like in the industry and they can they can hear it and you can just send it straight away. Back in the day, the likes of, you know, John, uh, Ian and Clive, I don't want to date them, um, but uh, they they were they were doing the same, but they were manually sort of doing it on a dictaphone, taking it off, sending it, sending a letter and just trying their best to, to get into it. I think the technology we've got now, Dom, is ridiculous, isn't it, for making things yeah. like this happen? And so come on, if anyone is out there <laughs> listening and is thinking, I'd like to be a commentator, start now exactly and it is so so accessible now and all you have to do is turn the tv on turn the volume off and just get stuck into it and that's you know and Mate, me, and stanley, me and stanley do that all the time and maybe stanley's got a future role as a commentator i haven't i'm like yeah. he's past two <laughs> oh who, who's that stan oh he's he's past to zach Xhaka. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine Stan being a great commentator. I remember I I didn't see Stan until a little while ago. Did I? And, and last time I saw him, he would have been like tiny, barely could hold a tennis racket. And now I see him. You post all these pictures of him winning tournaments and stuff like that. He seems like a right character. So I had a, I had yeah. a bad dad moment last night. The boys do something at Burton Albion, and like, and they Burton have been brilliant. They do online training during the lockdowns, and they had one last night where they do a series of exercises. And then then there's a quiz question. Now Ned and Stanley do it. Ned's downstairs, Stanley's upstairs. Yeah. And the quiz master comes on and he says, uh, <laughs> what's Burnley's home ground? And I hear this voice scream out like this, Turf Moor! And it's our Stanley. I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> Forget the That's trigonometry. It. If you know that... Ter- <laughs> yeah, if you, if, if, if you know that Burnley's home ground is Turf Moor at that age, you're onto a winner there. Get We're him in a commentary a Mate, come on. You're now a sports <laughs> reporter. And BBC Radio Manchester, you, you commentate for them. You, you know, you've commentated, you've covered Manchester United. What, <laughs> tell us about that experience. That was bizarre um, because I, you know, growing up as a '95 kid, I, I grew up through the era of David Beckham, uh, the class of '92, Sir Alex Ferguson, and you know, Manchester United are what I would associate with you know they embody football of my you know youth yeah. obviously I'm a Derby County fan and you know will support them to the day I die but Manchester United were what football was and it was just natural to, to see that so I can remember just getting the nod from Bill our sports editor at Radio Manchester and, and he just I think he just messaged me going uh do you want to go to Southampton to cover Manchester United versus Southampton in the Premier League I was like why even asking? I'll just put yes, like capital letters. I, was like, I can remember getting there because obviously going to Union Southampton as well, it's quite a nostalgic uh, feel about it. And just looking around at the people, it was more the people in the commentary box. Like I looked to my right, I had Sam Matterface there. Uh, you got all the people from the BBC. You look down pitch side, you got Jake Humphrey with BT Sport, Rio Ferdinand stood there and you're in and amongst the mix and stuff like that. 
And it was a step up from sort of League Two football in terms of food as well before the game. It was incredible. Um, and then obviously lucky enough to to get to do them at Old Trafford a couple of times as well. And just, I live literally a minute walk from Old Trafford now. Um, wow. So, you know, I can kind of see it from my flat. So it's lovely just to go over and, you know, you, you approach it and, you know, it's the theatre of dreams. It's, you know, so many memories have been made there and it's got such a great old school feel about it when you get there and just walking up the steps and walking out into the press box and just seeing Old Trafford in all its, all its glory. And yeah, I mean, I got to commentate on Bruno Fernandes' first goal uh, for Manchester United. It had a penalty um, stepped up. I can remember just like being so ready to go for it. Like had my line ready, like club he's dreamed of playing for, just moved in January and to get to do that and to see all the fans go crazy and stuff like that. It was just, it was surreal. Did you deliver it as well as you wanted to, Dom? You've got your line ready. You know it's going to happen. <laughs> well, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect commentary, but I, you know, I, I got the line that I wanted and, you know, I was excited. I think I listened back and I, you know, I didn't, I'm, I'm my biggest self-critic, Rob, so I'll, I'll never say something was great, but um yeah, I I think I did all right. And, uh, you know, they've asked me to do it since, so it can't have been too bad. Come on. Now, I know, you know, occasionally there's a match the other day and a commentator uh, was continually getting the goalkeeper's name wrong. And um, I know mistakes happen. I know you talked to, to John Murray about this. Is, is there anything that, and, and if you're self-critical, you remember these things, huh? Is there anything oh. you've had, any clangers where you're like, oh. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's a few. Um, yeah, I... I think it is part and parcel of the commentary. Um, like I say, you can never do the perfect commentary, but when you're coming through, there's so many little technicals that you have to think of. So like if you're watching a game or listening to a game, when the goal goes in, your immediate thing is to, you know, talk about what's happening in front of you. So the goal goes in, you describe what the player's doing that's just scored, what it means, uh, what the fans are reacting like when fans are in the ground. They're the sort of pictures you want to paint on the radio then every goal, you might notice already, I might be saying what people know, every goal will be wrapped on the score. So you'll always go, Manchester United won, Watford nil. And then that's when the summariser will come in and give their thoughts. So it's like a, there is a process. Yes. And I've had it a couple of times where I actually did a Manchester United women's game, Manchester United women against Bristol City. Manchester United were top of the league at the time. They've just come into the WSL, the flying. Um, but I'd done quite a lot of Manchester City women games this season as well. Uh, so Manchester United go like 4-0 four nil, four nil up, something like that. They're cruising. And in my goal rap, I go, blah, 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 blah. Uh, what a goal for him. You know, Tobin Heath, what a finish that is. Manchester City, four. And then you know, Bristol <laughs> sitting there. And I can remember just, because there's no fans, usually you can drown out like any mistake but I'm always so conscious when you've got like press people right next to you. They know you've just said Manchester City. Um, yeah. Oh God. I've got the score wrong as well. I did hey, solve on that, on that. So what is the, is the then, so all commentators make mistakes. Yeah. Noel Gallagher, true perfection has to be imperfect. I know that might sound funny, but it's true. Yeah. Imperfections there. Do, is there a set commentators union way? Like, do you pretend it never happened or do you go, Oh, uh, it or Manchester United, I meant. Uh, so I, I've i been told to... Right, so things like score, I think you can't afford to really ignore because I, I got the... I didn't get the... I got the score. It annoys me to this day, as you can tell. Uh, at Salford Oldham, it was a local derby in League Two earlier this season. 
and Salford took the lead uh, with about 10 minutes to go. And I think, I don't know why, I think I said Salford three old and one. I sound like a terrible commentator, by the way. Um, oh. but, but, um, yeah, I said Salford three old and one. I was like, and then like my summarizer looked at me, he's like, he's like whispering to me, going, you've just said, you've just said three, you've just said three. And I was like, no, I was like, surely not. And then like, this is all happening while I'm meant to be talking. Um, so in that scenario, I went, I went, I was like, you know what? Like I made a joke of it to my summarizer, Steve. I was like, you know what, Steve, I'm so delirious here. I, I think I've just said three, uh, three, one, it's two, one, of course. To some city. Yes. Uh, so stuff like score teams, say in Manchester city, I think, I think I ignored it because I think people may just move on with that after that. But the score is important because the four key principles of commentary are, the score, where where the ball is, uh, who you're working for, so you identify the station, uh, and what minute it is. So you've got to get all four of those things in fairly regularly. So you have a chance to amend your 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 me saying Manchester City. I can just instead of openly correcting it, maybe thirty seconds down the line, I can just go, uh, yeah. And of course, it's Manchester United uh, for Bristol City nil in the WSL here at Lee Sports Village. So you yeah. just drop it in like that on BBC okay. Radio Manchester. So you can colour it in like that but you're also told not to address little mistakes um i've i've missed substitutions in this bit but like little things like that one of my um, favorite ever we watch it quite a lot on youtube is chris kamara going uh when jeff stella oh, goes there's been a red card and, and chris kamara's like that's it that's it that's it, that's it. <laughs> and, and it, you know and actually it, it can become it becomes classic moments but the reason i asked dom is if we come back to that that day at the under 14 road to Wimbledon at Rolls Royce, where you had to learn how to be resilient. You had to learn how to get on with things. And the game yeah. of tennis, I think is great for this sort of thing. It really is. Although that was that other lad's mistake. I will have that known at Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, it does. It teaches you absolute discipline. And it was the co-commentator. <laughs> yeah. Just blame anyone but me. Um, but no, it's, it, it teaches you such good lessons. And uh, and I think just getting in your own mindset. And I've got quite into like high performance, like mindset thinking lately, not through myself, just through a podcast I've been listening to. Um, and, you know, trying to change your thought process to be more positive and stuff like that. And tennis, like you say, is such a good lesson for that. Because you, you'll see even the top players like lose their, lose their head at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen Serena Williams do it. We've seen, you know, Federer was he, Federer was notorious for being a crazy guy when he first came on as a, as a professional. I've seen so many videos of him going uh, nuts at umpires and line judges and smashing rackets. But then look at him now. He's like the biggest Rolls Royce in sport. Learn the lessons early. And you, I think that's yeah. a positive. It is. And yeah, I just... You go through rackets and it might be expensive, but let's just put it as an investment in your mental strength going forward in life. Now, I know a few years ago when you were at Talk Sport, Dom, and, and you ended up, you know, very early on in your career, you ended up suggesting about a show on the future of British tennis. It was commissioned. It was presented by Mark Saggers. You know, how did that feel to take it from the seed of an, uh, an idea, an early stage in your career, all the way through to something that's been broadcast, you know, across yeah. the country. Uh, it was it was really cool, uh, and I'm I'm a I was a proper um, 
pests at the time, as you can imagine, like, you know, with the stories, like in terms of talking to people and wanting to learn and, and get opportunities. So uh, there was a guy at TalkSport called Sal Ahmed um, who presented kick, who produced kickoff for Mark Saggers at the time. And he's one of my biggest influences in radio. He, you know, so passionate and he's brilliant and he helped me a lot. But I felt comfortable enough to go to him with an idea. And I always thought I did my uh, final major project at uni on uh, the future of British tennis. And it was almost the thought of when Andy and Jamie got uh, go, is there going to be a legacy left behind them? And I think at one stage that was a real worry. I think it's looking better now. But at one stage that was a real worry. And it was the reward process for the players that were going out on tour and um and playing these matches they would go to australia like you could win a tournament in australia and come back with less money than you went with because you've had to pay for all the travel the hotels and things like that so i thought it was a really pressing issue and a, and a good topic that didn't really get covered much on talk sport um because you think of talk sports audience you might not associate that with a tennis audience um at that time i think now it's way 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 better um but yeah so i basically had this idea went to sal pitch the the show and it's going to be a three hour three hour special on british tennis went through who to get i think we actually got yasmin clark in the end as well from obviously Derbyshire as well to come on and, and contribute as well uh ollie golding uh i had in the studio he was brilliant and obviously he was someone that had a particular story where obviously he was number one junior um and he just had to stop because he couldn't afford it and you think someone that talented and stuff having to stop yeah, because of I that. I remember listening to to Ollie on that show. It, you know, it, yeah. it was uh, it was really good good content, Dom. Yeah, well, no, I, I appreciate it, and I was just grateful to have the opportunity to do it and uh, and put it together. And you know, like I say, Sal was great for me, and that was one of my last things I did at Talksport um, because I wanted to to go off the local radio route. But yeah, Talksport was amazing. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Taught me a lot of lessons. You've. Um... Talk Sport, the BBC, your own podcast where you're chatting to some really high profile uh, commentators. You must have come across some some incredible characters. Is, is anyone anyone stands out as being, you know, kind of incredibly lovely or incredibly inspirational? We'll always try and be positive on this podcast. Uh, in terms of uh, character, so I, when I first got the job at BBC Radio Stoke, there was a guy called Graham McGarry. He's a crew commentator. He, he was sports editor at Radio Stoke for like 30 years. Uh, he retired recently from that role, but he still commentates on crew and he's like one of the most synonymous commentators in the area. But he's just, he was so funny and, and sort of helped me a lot when I first went in there. And, but there was one time where he, he brought in a commentator and I got told it on the podcast. Uh, so you'll be able to hear the story from the commentator themselves. There was a commentator, John Akers, that came to Radio Stoke. It was his first big gig getting the job at Radio Stoke. And uh, you have to send in a demo and apply for the job that way. Went through all the motions, uh, and John ends up getting the job. So John's sat at the desk uh, with Graham one day after getting the job. And he just, he just goes to Graham. He's like, oh, what, uh, what, what did you like about my demo? Uh, and things like that. And Graham has a really funny voice. Uh, and like, he was like, oh, I just, I just really liked your, your game that you did on, uh, on Reading, the Reading commentary you put in your application. And John was sat there going like, I didn't, I didn't commentate on Reading for my application. <laughs> And uh, so what Graham had done is taken all the demos of this uh, of this application. He went, <laughs> he said, oh, I just popped it down on the floor with uh, Barb, his wife, uh, and, his, and his lads, uh, Aidy and Dom, and they went through them and picked who they liked. Um, <laughs> so then 
John's like, right, okay. Um, but is, is that going to be an issue? Because that wasn't me. He was like, and then Graham's apparently thinking, oh, you know, I think it must have been a, another guy. I think probably another guy, wasn't it? And then just sits there and goes, oh, well, you're here now. And just cracks on. And then John, John's got on to be match of the day commentator, five, five live, like all sorts. Um, so oh. it's hilarious. Oh, I think you've got to find the guy who did the Reading commentary. Honestly, it's, it's a mission of mine now. Uh, but that guy doesn't know what, like, hopefully he's going to have a great career. But yeah, that that kind of sums up Graham, that story does. But he was so good to me. Uh, and honestly, he's been so good to so many people. So he's someone that I would I would look at. Really love it. Love it. And for your future, Dom, you know, you're still a young man. You've, you've already come a long way on your journey. Um, but when it comes to your sports report and your football commentary, what are your hopes and dreams moving forward? Uh, I think for me, I want to commentate full time. Um, and I mean, I'd love to do five live. Uh, five lives the dream. There has always been a bit of me that wants to really wants to do the Derby County commentary for Radio Derby if that ever came available. Because um, obviously Ed Dawes does a good job uh, for, for them at the moment. I would love to do that and I'd love to be the voice of my own team. But yeah, I think five live uh, match of the day, whatever I can get my hands on, I would, I would love to do that full time. And I'll try, I'll try. But it's, it's a competitive world out there. Um, but yeah, anything like that, that's that's the dream. Just to, you know, rock up at a football ground and know that that's your week's work done is probably the dream for for most football fans. Um, so yeah, uh, I'd go with that. And you're up in Manchester at the moment. Are you, are you still playing tennis up there? I am. I am. I'm representing Ermston uh, at the moment. It's, to be fair, actually, I joined last summer. So I, I went a couple of years without playing, which is quite sad. And I was a bit annoyed because I, I absolutely love playing. Um, and I decided to get back into it. Got a new racket. And, you know, there's no better feeling than getting a new tennis racket. Like that and football boots is has got to be up there with the two like top things you can buy. Uh, got a new racket, got myself sorted and joined Ermston. And they've got, you know, uh, ast- three Astro courts, three clay courts, uh, and then three grass courts. So it's got a bit of everything. And it's, it was really good. But then obviously lockdown hit. So came back for like two weeks, met everyone, then lockdown hit. So I had to wait again. Uh, came back when we were allowed to play tennis, played a lot, and they, they cancelled the adult league matches. But, you know, they did a couple of club tournaments and stuff like that. Um, got to the final of one. That was a proud moment, uh, but got battered. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, not again, isn't it? Is that it, it honestly, honestly, that photo is going to haunt me forever. Um, <laughs> but no dodgy line calls. So could... Next time, you got to do us a deal. Next time you reach a final... Um, through you know my various there's a podcast really and, and there's a, a fantastic uh, Facebook group called the Tennis Coaches Support Network I've got to meet uh, a few psychologists um, uh, we need to get you with a sports psychologist I think yes. going into that final next time you let us know we'll see if we can't get you that just <laughs> marginal gain they call it don't I, I just want to stand on the right side of the picture for once in the winners in the winners <laughs> space I'm always on the left I just oh heartbreaking um but, but yeah still playing uh, and looking forward to it when we can going back into it um i think we're going to be straight back in and we've got the adult league this season which will be nice so we'll be playing some competitive uh tennis but yeah cool um, well, mate, it's um it's one uh we you know one question we we always finish on and um 
hopefully it's a, a, a good entertaining one because I'm really looking forward to your answer. If you could go for a drink with anyone alive or dead, who would it be and why? Oh, go for a drink with anyone alive. Who would it be? Right, so I, would they be able to be completely like honest with me and like like so conversations we have? Are they? Am I going to have full clarity in what they're saying? Yeah, it's uh, very much Chatham House rules. They can say what they want in the knowledge that it's safe and despite it's off the record, as you say. Is that all right? Or, or yeah, on the record. I'm, I'm I'm going for it the Queen. Be then. Whatever you want it to be, Dom. <laughs> I'm going for the Queen then. I'm, I'm, I think go for a drink with the Queen would be class. Find out everything. Answer all the questions that just so in my mind I've all I've all sort I always find the whole royal thing bizarre. So I, I would love to find out all about it. And I reckon the Queen would be a decent laugh after a drink or two. The Queen um, off the record. It's gotta be off the record, hasn't yeah, it? You, yeah. Otherwise you're not getting much. But the Queen off the record, I mean, I'm presuming I I, I kind of picture a sherry. I'm not thinking pints <laughs> a mile to you. Oh, I don't know. I'd try and try and get her in the holly bush. Have a, have a pint there and uh, see see what happens. It'll just be hilarious. Oh, oh, no, you can't do that because <laughs> you and I both know. Now, this is tangential for some people, but you and I both know that the queen of the holly bush <laughs> is Dorothy. Oh, Dorothy yeah. Archer. She's there all the time with the grandchildren. She is the queen of the holly bush. <laughs> Actually, the queen of the holly bush meets the queen and Dom. Is it okay? This is my wife, Nan, by the way. If my wife... Yeah on the drink with you uh, yeah absolutely fine but i feel like she'll probably ask me to leave or something just so like and i'll, I'll just get pushed out but you know i'm happy for that Please i respect these a crowd because I, <laughs> I i'm sorry to have done this to you but i honestly believe that dorothy and the queen would be best mates yeah i mean so i've gone from having a one-on-one -on -one chat with the queen knowing everything about it to being kicked out the door <laughs> and replaced by the actual queen of the holly bush so yeah no i really appreciate that one. <laughs> Mate, wouldn't it be amazing to hear? I mean, I get the feeling I'm not sure it's ever going to happen, but wouldn't it be amazing? And that's part of the gig. But amazing to hear what the Queen has actually been through, what she actually thinks. Uh, it would be, I mean, after that whole interview the other week, it would be fascinating <laughs> to hear what's going on. Well, Dom, listen, man, it, it, it's been so lovely to chat. It's been great to hear about your tennis journey. Um, just inspirational to hear about you commentating and your sports reporting and, I can't wait to see what the next next chapter brings. So keep on keeping on. Thank you very much, Rob. I really appreciate you having me. It's been, been a good laugh.